up dreamers we got another one for you this week we watched left behind two i think it's been about four years since we watched the first one but regardless of the fact we're going to try to give a recap of the first one so that the second one makes at least a little bit of sense uh, ben do you want to kind of recap what happened in the first left behind movie yeah so the first left behind movie i mean obviously the rapture happened that's the, the key point of the the movie and you have a couple of main characters. You've got Rayford Steele, who's a pilot, whose entire family, except his oldest daughter, is raptured. You've got Chloe Steele. She's the oldest daughter of the pilot. You've got a reporter named Buck Williams. Yeah, he has yeah, an actual Buck first Williams. name, but I don't remember what it is. Uh, Buck's a nickname, I think. Um, and you've got a pastor, Bruce Barnes, who is kind of – um, I guess not a believer, but even though he was pastor and then after the rapture has happened, now he's actually been converted. And these characters sort of make up the, the, the main cast of the movie. And then you of course have the antagonist, Nikolai Carpathia, Vladimir Putin, whatever you want to call him, who is the antichrist. And he is the, uh, the, the main antagonist of the, the series of movies. So coming into the, the second movie, um, what has happened is all of those those characters, uh, Rayford Steele, Buck Williams, Chloe, Bruce Barnes, they've all become Christian. And now they're trying to figure out, OK, what do we do now that the Antichrist is on the scene? The rapture has happened. We've got the seven years of tribulation period about to take place. What's what's our goal? What are what is our calling now that we're in this situation? And so Left Behind 2, subtitle Tribulation Force starts about a week after the rapture and it is them sort of now trying to get their their bearings in this new world in which they're living and that's where the movie really kind of starts off yeah and it opens with buck williams uh kirk cameron giving a, a news broadcast to people because it's shortly after the rapture happened everybody's worried concerned about the fact that hundreds of millions of people have you know gone missing I do. I think we mentioned this in the first one. Kirk Cameron's great, but he's not like a a broadcast journalist type. Doesn't have yeah, like the cadence he, or the. He's no. He's no, he's no Walter Cronkite. <laughs> no, but he's given this uh, broadcast about you know everybody just you know stay strong in this time of trial, and. We were sort of reintroduced to Nikolai Carpathia, who's kind of like an 80s TV villain. Like I we talk, I think we talked about in the last episode, too. These books, they came out in the 90s, right? So they're kind of like early. I don't know. The movie came out. In, the first movie came out in, what, 2000. So I guess the books were written throughout the 90s. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, kind of like just riding the coattails of the Cold War. And so – I don't know. I think that's why Nikolai is a Russian fella, right? I, I mean, is there? I, I want to say he's Hungarian or Romanian or okay, something like but, that. Obviously, obviously Eastern European definitely has like the 
the Slavic sort of look, the Eastern European accent. Um, I won't try to replicate it because first of all, we have <laughs> the racism or something. So yeah, we got to, you know, you know, the, you know, the sound he, he could easily be a bond villain. Like that's, that's kind of oh, the feel easy. Yeah. And, uh, after this, um, sort of like reintroduced to some of the characters we we they established the world as falling apart because buck williams is riding his motorcycle that's another thing kurt cameron's not like a a motorcycle type guy or at in least, fact like, do we ever do we ever see him actually riding the motorcycle or is he just like standing around it preparing to get on it i think the only time we see him actually like riding it is when he's he's riding through the slums Like they have that scene just to show that the world is falling apart. There's two guys carjacking an abandoned van and two, I don't, UN peace officers or cops. I don't really know what organization they work for. Yeah. They just pop out of the shadows and shoot them. Hold on for a second. Mm -hmm. You're, you're lagging really bad. And I think it's going to mess with our recording. I don't know if I'm also like, have you noticed me like roboting or anything like that? Not too much. No. Okay. Um, yeah, that's weird. I'm just afraid it's going to mess with the recording. Let me close some things on my computer real quick. Um, let me see if there's anything I can close to. No, don't close Skype. Yeah, and then we can just just pick back up talking about the motorcycle thing. I think we'll be I'll be able to edit it smoothly. Yeah, I'm just I don't want it to sound terrible. All right, whenever you're ready, just jump into the motorcycle conversation, and I'll smooth it out in editing. We'll fix okay, it in post. So, yeah, Kirk Cameron is riding his motorcycle through the dark and lonely streets of Chicago. And then um, he comes across two carjackers who are just breaking in into an abandoned van. And while they're doing that, they're like smashing the windows Two I officers or cops jump out of the shadows and mow them down for, I don't even yeah. know what they were trying to steal, but there, it, so it's the, just, the cops are, I think, gl- the global community police or something like that. They, they're the Unite guys from this present mm. darkness, you know. The, yeah. The Antichrist um, police force. Yeah, and there, this is another thing, too. We saw this with uh, – we saw this with uh, – um, what was it? God's Not Dead that we just yeah. uh, reviewed like government agencies have endless resources to tackle small petty problems because it's like he has his, his force of people out in the the streets, like just mowing down carjackers when you would think (laughs) that there would be bigger problems to tackle if society has collapsed. Yeah. And they have like, I I guess that's the, what do they call it? The, the broken windows uh, theory of policing, what Rudy Giuliani uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so maybe, right. Maybe maybe Nikolai is a student of the the Giuliani theory of policing. 
Yeah, that's that's a cameo I would have loved to see in this movie. Have Rudy Giuliani. But yeah. uh, another another interesting thing, and you mentioned this, maybe it's what you're about to bring up, is the the scenes of the the collapsing civilization. Yeah, like the streets. <laughs> it, the, there's just fires and like it's either like people breaking into stuff or but most of it is just like lots of people just like with blankets draped over them just like being zombies uh shuffling streets and burn barrels yeah i don't know basically los angeles 2023 you've got a a good picture of what it's going to look like after the rapture happens yeah honestly it does you could probably superimpose just like actual footage from san francisco or los angeles (laughs) and they always I don't know I don't I haven't spent a lot of time in big cities but there's always it movies always use the the burn barrels I don't yeah. like do people actually use burn barrels you know I don't I don't know about that you think about um I was thinking about that as we were watching the movie uh in the one of the songs in Oh Brother Where Art Thou the Big Rock Candy Mountain he mentions mm-hmm. as the drum but the drum barrel fire was burning. So I feel like that is like an actual trope. Um, yeah. People have these barrels that they burn things in. Um, but it, it is yeah. in a lot of movies. It's not just the left behind series, but yeah. Even later in the, even later in the movie, when there's a shot of outside of the church that Bach and Bruce and Ray all congregate at, there's like, there's a bunch of burn barrels set up right outside the church. It was just like, I don't know. There's something funny about it. I don't know. That would mean people would have physically carried burn barrels to that location to set up fires. Or the church has like a burn barrel ministry where they're providing people. I mean, maybe it could be a mercy ministry of the the church is the the burn barrels. Um, So, yeah, we, we start with Buck giving this sort of appeal to um, unity and peace and loving each other on the news. And then he comes outside and sees that the world really isn't like that. The world's in actually really bad shape. And uh, somebody needs to do something. Like, I, th- I think the, w- the, the position we're starting off in this movie is, like, there's total chaos in the world. And somebody needs to do something. And if we've seen the first movie, what we know is that sort of events have been have been kind of um, controlled from behind the scenes to put this Nikolai Carpathia character in the position to actually do something. So I think at the beginning of this movie, he's sort of like the head of the U.N., but he hasn't actually been given any real like power yet. Right. Um, But he does like shortly after he has like the, the UN officially asks him to be in charge yeah. and he, he closes his uh, acceptance speech, which is like, he says ours is the glory and the power. Yeah. Like forever yeah, our, and ever ours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. And ever. Yeah. Riffing so he's, off of the Lord's prayer. Yeah. So he uh, is, establishing himself as you know undoubtedly the antichrist he uses a lot of language about like 
I just like the classic like world peace and all these things. Like I, yeah. I know people. It's stuff that people were always always concerned about, especially I think back in like the eighties yeah. and nineties. I remember when I was in middle school, uh, my Bible teacher told us that was when like the the euro was being developed and i remember her i think maybe i said this on the last left behind episode too but she told us this a one world currency like we're moving towards the 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 tribulation yeah i remember um i think i want to say it was pat buchanan it was some like conservative but like extreme conservative politician was warning about the amero which would be like the the American version of the euro, which Canada, the U.S., and Mexico would all adopt together, and then eventually the Amero and the euro would merge into this one world currency. I forget I forget who it was who was talking about this, um, but there was this real sense in which like all of these things are playing out, and um, even in the movie, uh, the one of the groups that speaks during the UN meeting is the World Monetary Fund, which I made a joke yeah. as we were watching. Oh, it's the World Economic Forum. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> this is Nikolai dude could be uh, what's what's that guy's name? Uh, Klaus Schwab of Klaus the World Schwab, Economic yeah. Forum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Billions must die. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a lot of the sort of um, you think about like the the either cold war or like post cold war sort of political theorizing. I have constantly, as we're watching this, this movie, the first and the first one and a lot of these end times movies, you just think this is basically a, a Tom Clancy novel. Yeah. But with like a slight religious veneer over the top of it. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's yeah. It has all those uh, like big plot points and there's, there's some wild action that goes on in this movie because it like throughout the movie it builds because you know shortly after Carpathia like Nikolai accepts his position for the UN Ray is visited by his wife in a dream and there's it's like like it sort of yeah and it sort of builds from there in regards to like how wild or like the yeah, the types of interventions that take place for characters in order to move the plot forward. I always feel like this. I felt like this movie is stuck between uh, like small time character development. And then the plot itself is so like deals with such big matters. Yeah, that, like the it's almost like the tone is off throughout it because you have characters dealing with their daily struggles but at the same time, it's like there's this world crisis going on. And so I, I, I don't think it quite like uh, I didn't feel like it quite uh, coupled those two things together. Quite yeah. Right. And I, I noticed the same exact thing, which is one of the things I wrote down as we were watching it, is that this is kind of the to use a Star Wars metaphor. It's like the Empire Strikes Back movie. Like, yeah, you've had your the first movie where things actually go pretty well, but they're still like obviously evil in the world. But this movie is kind of like, all right, the bad guys and the good guys both exist. And the bad guys are actually now need to win a little bit to make them appear to be a force to reckon with. And one of the things you need to do in sort of the middle movie of a trilogy, even though this, 
I, I think it did end up being a trilogy, but was supposed to be more. But the some of the things you need to do in a middle movie of like a, a longer story, or if you think about a series of books, what you need to do in the middle stories is you develop characters. Mm. You let the bad guys have a few victories. Um, but you're kind of carrying on to a greater end later on. So if you think about, you know, Lord of the Rings, the two towers, um, the good guys have some wins. The bad guys have some wins. Uh, there's there's something happening, but you haven't reached the end yet. And I feel like this movie. Or um, you think about The Godfather, you know, Godfather mm. one kind of a self-contained story. Godfather two develops deeper, like delves deeper into the characters that were presented in Godfather one. Um, but it's telling a deeper, richer, more character centric story than Godfather one. And I feel like not, not, not to compare the left behind movies with the Godfather <laughs> of any sort, but I feel like what you've got going on with this movie is they told the story they wanted to tell in the first movie. And now they're sort of, um, delving deeper into the characters. So you mm. actually have some character development with each of the main characters, except maybe Bruce Barnes, who's just sort of an extra in this movie. Yeah. Um, but you've got like this development, this deeper digging into the characters, but you're right in the sense that while they were, while they were doing that, they also had like major crazy plot things happening in the background, which I don't know that it hurt the movie because I mean, isn't that a, isn't that a great thing for a movie to do? It's got rich character development and big plot like action elements happening at the same time. I don't want to sound like yeah. I'm, I'm praising this movie because it is just a bad directed <laughs> video Christian movie. And, and I've said a lot of things right now that make it sound really amazing. So I want to clarify. You compared it to the gun. I know. Yeah. I compared it to God. <laughs> but not, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, I. I'm sure. Where does the so the the movie establishes like the, you know, Nikolai Carpathia, Buck Williams is doing his thing with the broadcasting. And one of the things I noticed about this, there's a couple scenes where Ray, he like Christian movies more than any other type of movie accurately portray how dads dress. <laughs> it's like with a lot of a lot of Hollywood movies, you have uh, every every character has a certain like fashion sheen to them. But yeah, Ray wears dad sneakers. And I <laughs> we've watched a couple other of these movies, too, where like the dads are wearing dad sneakers. And I appreciate the the accurate depiction of like dad fashion in the these authenticity. Movies. Yeah. There's a certain grit to it that I like. Yeah, that's a good point. So Buck, uh, uh, after um, <clears throat> after Buck is told that Nikolai Carpathia wants to meet with him because Nikolai wants to make Buck like the sort of the 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 press face of like the yeah. UN and this one world organization. Yeah, and so uh, Buck gets word of that, then he goes to and there's the up to his office or his desk and there's this really odd scene where he goes to sit at his desk 
and his old assistant comes in to, to visit him or something. But then yeah. I, I don't like the office administrator comes out and she is so combative asking him, I, like, who told you I was so there? confused by this scene. Like, I didn't understand well, why it was there or what was happening. I don't know either. And it, it's the only time that administrator character appears in the movie, correct? Yeah. I it, feel like it just, has to be something that was, like, drawn from the book and was a bit uh, in the book. Maybe it was. But they just, uh, like, sort of try to fit it into the movie. Like, that's the only explanation uh, I can come up with because otherwise it doesn't – it makes no sense at all. Truly. She's she's raising her voice at uh, Buck Williams, telling him – I don't even – just, like – any potential logistical problem, she's yelling at him about it. And there's, there's no, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't fit. I guess you're right. I guess people who read the books maybe would understand what was going on. But as a viewer who did not read the books and forgot most of the first movie, I was entirely unaware about what was going on. It was, it was almost like un, it was uncomfortable to watch because it was hard yeah, to tell exactly what they were trying to do. And if if you had cut that scene out of the movie, it would have removed nothing from the movie. Like there, right. there's no, it didn't come back. There was no reason for it to be there. Yeah, it's not like it's a running gag that he has like run-ins with this administrator. Any anything, we never see yeah. the character again. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think she's Very like? Odd. Yeah, does it represent like like the UN is taking control? the news I, broadcast I so they're think, just like yeah i think that's probably what it, they were trying to signify is that oh now he works in a hostile environment and like there uh-huh. are things happening behind the scenes but that's not explained at all and the the only reason i have that opinion is because i know what the story like the rest of the story is yeah right so after he has this very strange run in with the office administrator. Uh, he lets because his old assistant showed up to visit him while this confrontation takes place and they go back to his apartment and she just tells her, you know, you can stay here at yeah. my place. And while they're there, this is another weird, there's just some strange scene, especially like the first, I think the movie found its footing a little bit like, I don't know, a third to halfway through. But there's all these yeah. weird scenes at the beginning. And yeah. one of them, they're both uh, Buck Williams takes this uh, old assistant back to his apartment. And while they're there and he's telling her, you can just stay here. I don't really stay here much or whatever the conversation was. Yeah. Uh, she notes that his uh, answering machine is blinking. And Buck yeah. says he's disturbed. Yeah, He's like, what? No one has this number. But he he's just like he is disturbed that someone called to leave a message and he says no one has this number. But the question has to be, why do you have the phone if you are concerned just because somebody left a message? Like what? Yeah. What does he have like, the telephone for? <laughs> yeah. Surely someone has this number. Yeah. yeah. Like, right. It's like he would have had like a set number of people he expected maybe to leave a message. But he just says like why no one has this number and then um he then says like i don't know how they found me which <laughs> like he is an extremely naive person for being a journalist 
<laughs> like you'd think, like being a journalist coming out of the Cold War era, you would think he'd be, you know, like, on top oh, the, of the fact the that the NSA, like they always find you, they always do. <laughs> they know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, he was very, very surprised that first of all he had a a, a message on his answering machine. I almost said a voicemail, but I don't think in two thousand two we were calling them that yet. Uh, yeah. And very surprised that the Antichrist, whom he knows is the Antichrist, could find him. Yeah. If I'm Buck Williams living in the post-rapture world <laughs> and know that like the Antichrist, who is about to be possessed by the devil himself, is in charge of everything, I'm not going to be that surprised if he's able to figure out my phone number. <laughs> right, yeah. But- Oh, Buck Williams. I think that's why, because uh, Nikolai Carpathia alludes to the fact several times throughout the movie that the people love Buck Williams. I wonder yeah. if that's partly why, because he just is He's so very naive. much, yes, and like kind of an everyman in some ways, just does not know what's going on. Or people tune in and like yell at the screen all the time when he's broadcasting because he just misses <laughs> all these obvious things that are happening in the world. <laughs> But regardless, people love him. Yeah. He's a man of the people. And then, oh, no doubt. Kirk Cameron is a man of the people. And then we cut to uh, a scene at the church where Pastor Bruce is giving a sermon. Or, well, sort of a sermon or just like a – it's a little less formal than that. But Yeah, I think he's what, sort of explaining to people what happened. Yeah, and he – um. He's just telling he basically is telling them what happened is giving them like the Christian message about what is going on in the world. And what's interesting to me is in the scene, you have all these people from the community who who have come to the church who are looking for answers. But there's a lot of shots of as Pastor Bruce is talking where the people are like – really annoyed with the things he's saying yeah but i i I don't know what they expected to hear i so to be fair i totally buy this you get people who are they come to church looking for answers and the guy in church tells them hey the person you think is going to save all of you is actually the Mm. devil himself i get it like i I think that's actually a legitimate yeah yeah no you yeah i can see that yeah, you're pro- you're probably right. I'm probably just I'm nitpicking. I'm defending here. this movie but, uh, way more than I want to be defending this movie. Yes. I need to make that clear. <laughs> but when Pastor Bruce, there's general annoyance within the crowd, and then yeah. he kind of builds up to talk about the rapture and the tribulation and all of the hardship that's to come in the near future. And there's chit chat and pitter patter amongst the people in the congregation, and then. The best line of this movie is uttered. Some a woman in the crowd, like near the back, asks the question, are they going to kill us all? (laughs) What a beautiful line. It's my favorite line from the whole movie. There's something about it that uh, I don't know. The sincerity with which she said it, I think. Oh, yeah. Are they just going to kill us all? It's like, I'm just saying what everybody's thinking. But no, the answer is that they're not going to kill us all. Yeah. They're just and then, going to kill the Christians. 
and then and then after the the church scene, Ray, there's a there's a conversion scene in the movie. Well, so it yeah, oh. uh, there there are multiple conversion scenes in this movie. Yeah, and this is one thing I was going to bring up, and this is the start of one of them. Although it doesn't end until later on, like it it pays off later on, but this is the start of it. Is Ray had brought his friend, I think Chris, is that right? Yeah, Chris. Yeah, he brings his friend Chris to hear Bruce talk about these things, and Chris isn't having it. He's like, "This is this is ridiculous. I'm out of here." Um, and they go outside, and this is probably my favorite scene of the movie. They go outside, and um, Buck Williams follows them outside. But in this scene, he's not playing Buck Williams. In this scene, he is just Kirk Cameron. Oh, yeah, it's a cameo. It's a yeah, cameo. Because uh, Chris starts saying, like, I'm a good person. And Buck Williams dives immediately, or Kirk Cameron dives immediately into the Ray Comfort way of the master method of evangelism, which is that you present the law of God to people, show them that they are guilty, and then offer them you know, salvation in Christ, which is a great way to evangelize people. But it's like word, it's like word for word textbook out of the way of the master, like literature. Oh, where he oh, like it is. I, it, it, it was incredible. Yeah, I remember in youth group, my freshman or sophomore year of high school, and we watched a series of videos about evangelism and the, the like the dialogue from that like just video thing that we watched like depicting a, a scene of like how to yep. witness to somebody yep. it's like word for almost word. verbatim yeah, yeah. truly yeah. <laughs> yeah if you look up way of the master and ray comfort's sort of method of evangelism and you listen to this scene alongside that it is literally like word for word verbatim I've never exactly. heard of this way way of the man way, way of the master is the ministry that ray comfort started and he was I don't know if i've heard of this guy so, yeah this, so sort of an aside he was really bothered by the fact that you had all of these people coming to church and abandoning the faith and um he was really frustrated by the sort of um the four spiritual laws method of evangelism where you bring people in because they feel like they're not getting enough out of life and then they become a christian and realize oh this isn't giving me enough out of life either and so they abandon it and so he tried to figure out like what what are we doing wrong in bringing people to church and what he realized was that if you don't confront people with their sin with the fact that they have abandoned god's law then they're when they become a christian and realize that actually life isn't all that much better because it's still kind of the same they're not going to hold on to Christianity because they don't realize what it is doing, which is mm. saving them from their sin. And so okay. he developed a method of evangelism based on the law of God, which is exactly what Kirk Cameron presents in this movie, too. Yeah. It's a, so it's called Way of the Master. Is he is this master refer to Jesus or is Ray Comfort establishing himself as a master of, <laughs> of evangelism? No, it's, it, no, it refers to Jesus. OK. All right. <laughs> Is what I wanted to make sure. That was pictured in my head like a Rex Quando type figure yeah. talking about evangelizing He's people. The sensei. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so they have this conversation, Ray, and Chris, Ray uh, goes out Chris to follow Chris. Doesn't convert Ray. at the moment. He like 
storms off. Yeah, he's he's very angry about the message. And then uh, Ray, pretty soon after that, Ray shows up to his apartment just to I think to check up on him. No, he gets a phone call. Remember? Oh, that's okay. Yeah. So one thing that's happening in this movie, all like all street corners have like a, a a table with like a mini candle vigil set up. People are paying respects to all their oh, loved yeah. ones that just yes. here during the rapture. So Ray goes to one of these little uh, like vigil booths and he's, you know, just thinking about his wife and his son who were taken up in the rapture. And while he's there, this uh, woman, young woman who is just clad in plain white, yeah. like comes up and asks him if he, did you lose somebody too? But yeah. then Ray's phone rings and Chris, it's Chris who's calling him, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Chris calls him. You can tell he's distraught because Ray's trying to make sense of, you know, what he's hearing on his end yeah. of the call. And then Ray decides to go to his apartment. Yeah. And. When he gets there, uh, Chris is sitting on the floor in front of his coffee table with a, a revolver, and he's like spinning, just spinning the revolver yeah. on the table, which I I guess he's sort of playing some form of Russian roulette with himself, where if, if the revolver ends up pointing at him, he's going to do it or something. He's clearly suicidal, clearly not you know, in his right frame of mind, but he's, um, he's thinking about killing himself and the, the movie makes that apparent. Yeah. And Ray, Ray is trying to console him and calm him down. But, uh, Chris has the gun, you know, pointed, eventually he grabs the gun, points it at himself. Then he has it pointed or he has it pointed at Ray. Yeah. And Ray's trying to calm him down. And then eventually, Actually, Chris points it at himself and Ray's trying to walk him through what's going on. And he's, you know, witnessing to him about, you know, you need God, Chris, you need God. Um, and then uh, I will say Chris has very dangerous trigger discipline. Like th- like he's holding it and he has he has like the trigger squeeze no matter where he's. Oh, yeah. It. He's a menace to society. <laughs> to be fair, he's, he is suicidal. So that is true. I thought of, I thought about making that same point. But then I was like, well, this guy's trying to kill himself. So maybe he's not. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forgot what he learned in his class. Yeah. And so um, the conversation ends up going well. And uh, Ray tells uh, Chris one of the culminating statements he makes is you need to tra- uh, trade your gun for God. Is that what he says? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have it written down. Hold on. Hold on. I think that is it. Yeah. You need to trade that gun for God. And which Chris does, he sets it down yeah. and then Chris, yeah, and I, I thought in that scene that, um, the, the people who are trying to advance, the more gun control aspect of political thought should really latch on to this line from left behind to tribulation force, which is you need to trade that gun for God. Because if we know anything about people who are easily influenced by religious messages, this would, this would be a, a winning 
a winning message. Oh, trade, that'd be the trade your guns in our move of the decade. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I think people are really missing out on a a great uh, a sales pitch here. Trade your guns in for God. Yeah, I wonder you. I would you have to you'd probably have to license that. Can you imagine being the writer of Left Behind, and <laughs> you get a phone call from someone asking to use a line from your movie and yeah. their political messaging? <laughs> the DNC would like to uh, use <laughs> yes. this clip of uh, Left this Behind. Is, this is Chester from the DNC. I have a request to make. Um, but yeah, so Chris converts and we actually failed to mention something earlier on. One of the important plot points is that Ray, who was a pilot before the rapture, um, has been asked to take a job being a pilot for the Antichrist. And he didn't, he doesn't want to do it, which, I mean, I get it. You don't want to work for the Antichrist. He wants to work for the Antichrist. Yeah. It's um, a reasonable, yeah. reasonable thing to not want to do. But he, and then he realizes after this conversion of his friend Chris that he can do a lot of good by being a subversive force in the Antichrist's regime by flying for him. And so it's this convergency that changes his mind. And now he's like, yeah, actually, I am going to go work for the Antichrist. Yeah, so he, he goes and visits. The, the person who is in charge of hiring the pilot is – I, somebody he used to Hattie, Hattie Durham Hattie and it's played by Kirk Cameron's wife yeah it's it's played by Kirk Cameron's like in real life wife yeah and um Hattie and Ray have history or something yeah so or, it, they had like an emotional I don't know if it was clear in the movie or not but I'm pretty sure in the books they had an actual affair I'm pretty sure okay okay so he goes to her to ask her about, you know, maybe getting the pilot job. And he kind of uses like their history or the, the history that they have is helpful in him getting yeah. uh, the job. Yeah. And so he actually ends up becoming a pilot for Nikolai Carpathia. And then yeah. Buck is asked by Nikolai Carpathia to be like his uh, lead reporter or like the head of um, all broadcasts that are put out by. Yeah. the the UN yeah. so it's basically, basically the states become taking the company control. man yeah yeah um and which is that's a great scene too because if you remember he's in the building where he just got chewed out by his that woman who is apparently his boss or something yeah. and he hits the elevator button to go to the lobby so he can get out and go home and then suddenly the elevator starts taking him up to the top floor and then some guy grabs him when he gets out of the elevator and they like bring him out to the roof of the building. And it looks like he's about to be killed. Yeah. And then Nikolai Carpathia is just on the top of the building. Like I knew you would like this view. So I thought I'd bring. You yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a, this happens in uh, like some of these movies we've watched, like the, the false tension. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like Nikolai just wants to talk with him, but for some reason, just because of the like they needed a reason for it to be on the roof so it would be <laughs> scary so nikolai's like i thought you'd like the view of the city and but while the guys the guys have grabbed him like by his jacket or aren't dragging him to meet nikolai but the henchmen are like in a way they're being forceful with the way that they like bring him to nikolai which is totally and completely unnecessary because yeah. like buck williams 
isn't really that hesitant. He hasn't put up a fight or anything, but it just creates this totally it's it's a farce it's like this false tension that they create just i don't i don't do know you and, think, then, and then do you think that like in the world of the movie that he was trying to intimidate buck to take the job or do you think that this was just for the viewer to feel sort of a false tension Yeah, I, that I is, can't. I, I can't answer possible. that question. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's possible, but I don't know if I'd give the yeah writers I, I, of I this movie the benefit them, of subtext. Yeah, I think I'd be willing to give them the benefit just because this movie is better than a lot of the bad movies we have watched. That is that. true. Maybe maybe somebody was thinking in the writers' room. I don't know. But anyway. Anyway, all alone. So, yeah, Rayford decides to take the job. Buck is taking the job. Um, and what comes next? Yeah, after they, well, what happens is, um, after the, the jobs, the jobs are secured for both Buck and Ray, and then there's this brief, uh, brief misunderstanding between Buck and Chloe because Chloe likes Buck, and I think Buck likes her too. Yeah. But Chloe decides, I got to tell Buck how I feel about him. So she gets dressed up uh, to the nines and goes to his apartment, knocks on the door, and his old assistant who's living there answers the door. (laughs) And so Chloe is enraged by this. And so uh, she goes home and then Buck calls their house because he wants to talk to Chloe because he's like a. I think there's been a misunderstanding, but she doesn't want to talk to him. So eventually Buck shows up at the house and yeah. they have a conversation. It was very, very quickly resolved tension, but it's like this, I don't know, seven or eight minute span of time in the movie where there's this misunderstanding between the two of them. And then yeah. they resolve it and they, they start dating, I guess. Yeah, I, I think so because they go to a mall and take pictures together in one of those mall picture things yeah which to me is a clear sign that they were together oh yeah that's uh, yeah Yeah. probably one of the top three ways you can tell if people are together if they use one of those photo booths yeah Um, and then um which is was weird to me i i mean we're now in 2023 and the world has changed a lot but in the early 2000s was that still what young adults in their late 20s were doing uh i don't know i i'm not i don't know i'm not not sure i think at that point it was sort of the tail end of those being a serious thing and i think now they're probably more of like an ironic thing that that people do yeah but i think that might have been the tail end of it but i don't know if i've ever seen one of those in an airport because they're using one that's oh yeah i don't that's true yes I and this was I'm not, this was filmed in 2002, so this was post 9/11 world we're dealing with here. Um, oh yeah, that's well, right. Yeah, out, that is true. It came out in 2002. I don't know when it was filmed, but I'm gonna assume that would be yeah, maybe maybe before 9/11 they had photo booths at the airport. I I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> what it's funny to me as an aside, um, this is a clear sign that this movie was made in the past. Is that the whole like photo booth mall sort of thing 
was a thing because to these days, I mean, you go to malls, it's like it looks like the streets of L.A. in Left Behind 2 where there's like broken windows and fires burning and people. Oh, yeah. Bars running around. It's a, a dangerous place. Don't go to the mall. Um, oh, yeah. If you want to film and th- at this day and age, if you want to film a post-apocalyptic movie, just, yeah, just go to a mall go, somewhere <laughs> and just take footage. <laughs> But uh, so they Buck and Ray are on their way to Israel because Nikolai Carpathia is going to meet with a really famous religious leader named what's the guy's name? Uh, ben Judah. Zion Ben Judah. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy's supposed to make a really big announcement regarding religion and the Messiah. So, yeah. I, so Ray is flying Nikolai over there. but. Buck is trying to get to the Wailing Wall, which has been closed down, because um, in the book of Revelation, it references two witnesses that come down to Earth to uh, preach uh, the gospel. And these two witnesses – yeah, go ahead. Let me use my Masters of Divinity here for a moment. (laughs) Um, The book of Revelation does mention these two witnesses, and – the people who believe like the writers of the left behind novels in dispensationalism is what it's called, where like you have the seven year tribulation period and all of these things should be interpreted literally believe that these two witnesses will be two actual men who appear during the time of the tribulation. And they believe that they will be Elijah and Moses returned from the dead. Okay. I, rem- I do remember learning that in my, Bible class once upon a time. Yeah. So this is Elijah and Moses returned from the dead. They're doing miracles in, in Israel apparently. And, um, in revelation, it mentions, I think it mentions something about them breathing fire or, um, they're, they're definitely able to do certain kinds of miracles in the book of revelation. Like there are things that are happening surrounding the two witnesses. And so that's what's happening in Jerusalem in the movie is these two guys have appeared. And so there've been these material mysterious, like burnings of people to death. And Buck is trying to cover that story. Yeah. And his, his like alibi for as to why he wants to do it to Nikolai is that he wants to expose them as just like radical grifters basically. Yeah. Like frauds. Right. Yeah. But his actual motive is just to capture what they say on like a live feed for the yep. news broadcast so that people can just see it all over the world. And so probably the weirdest scene of the movie is when he and Ray go to try to get past the guards at the Wailing Wall because Nikolai, <laughs> in order to prevent any story uh, or anybody seeing these two witnesses, says anybody at the Wailing Wall who trespasses will be shot on sight. Like, yeah. show no mercy. And so – Buck and Ray both or just Buck goes or no, they both go. Yeah, he's there. Yeah, because he's the one so, that the thing happens with. Yeah. So they show up at the. The wailing wall and the guards are like, no, you can't go. And Buck in like a moment of uh, just like divine courage decides to keep walking past. Yeah. And they're like shouting at him and telling him he has to stop he has to stop and then that 
the what, woman time dressed stopped. in white. Oh, that's well, right. Yeah. The woman dressed the, in white who talked to him at the vigil reappears and she starts. And I, I think it's safe to say at this point, she's like some kind of angelic figure. But she. Yeah, appears, because she was. Yeah. And she starts singing and Amazing Grace. Acapella. It's really weird. Yeah. It's really and strange. I, I guess freezes time. Yeah, so all the guards are just like frozen in their uh, ready pose. And so they kind of they just walk amongst them and walk past and then they encounter the two witnesses. And I don't even what's what's I don't even remember the content of the do they have a conversation with the witnesses or the witnesses just like sort of sort of what happens is Zion Ben Judah tries to tell them that they're liars and they start quoting the New Testament to them, to him. And so he's trying to say, like, oh, you know, you, you don't know who the real Messiah is. And they start quoting New Testament scriptures to him, which I think it's the entire content of what they say is just quotations from the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And then um, so Buck films part of it. And in the movie, it seems like part of it gets on TV. But I think that was just like the the preview that. Nikolai was seeing and then he cuts it off immediately. Yeah. So um, most of yeah, Buck's mission does fail because he's not able to get it like a live feed of these two right. guys because it's cut off by uh, Nikolai. But these the the prof the the witnesses I they looked like somebody did the costuming based on like those old like like paintings of biblical figures from like the seventies. <laughs> I, I call it Sunday school art. I don't know if I, yeah. I can't really, but, but they, they, they looked like two guys dressing like they were in a church pageant or something. Yes. Like that. That's exactly that's, what I was going to say. These are guys who were dressing up as Elijah and Moses for their church play. <laughs> yeah. They probably, they were probably, I'll bet they scouted for those guys. Like they had to do yes. the Easter circuit like yeah. to find people to play them in the movie and they found the two perfect ones, but they really like the, the costuming was striking just cause it was, I don't know. It yeah. was exactly what like my 10 year old self would have expected the yes. two witnesses to exactly. look like when I heard the lesson exactly. in Sunday school. Exactly. But, Which another on that note too, if you remember when Buck Actually, I think his name's Cameron Williams, Cameron Buck Williams. Um, when he goes to meet Zion Ben Judah, all of the Jewish people that are surrounding him are all dressed like New York City Hasidic Jews. <laughs> like they have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. But they, yeah, <laughs> they are like they have um, the uh, sort of aesthetic of the, the New York City Hasid. And then Zion Ben Judah is just like like his. His sideburns are trimmed. Like he doesn't look at all like any of the other guys. It's like whoever made this movie was just like, we need we need you to know these are Jewish people. How can we do that as easily as possible? (laughs) Uh, So after. They have this encounter with the witnesses and. um The time unfreezes or whatever, whatever the angel did to the guards it lifts the spell yeah. lift i don't know what it is i don't know and then 
they start shooting and it's like the one of my favorite parts of the movie the two witnesses it's just the bullets are like going through them and they're you can see the bullet holes forming on the wall behind them they just hold up their hand they take a deep breath and then they spew fire on these guards and set them on fire probably the the best special effects scene in the entire movie i had a friend in middle school who used to talk unironically about this movie like it like it was a like peak action movie like oh, it was really? the, yes I did because I remember we were at lunch one day and he was just kind of ranting about this we didn't quite know what he was talking about and then we realized he was talking about one of the left behind movies but he was describing this scene to us in detail like yeah these they start shooting them and then they hold up their hands they breathe fire all over them and they catch on fire he's like it was awesome we're like dude what are you talking about well now we know um yeah (laughs) truly and then uh after that encounter um i'm trying to well yeah so zion ben judah disappears buck and ray get out of dodge because you know they're being shot at by these guys um, and then the next thing that really kind of happens is uh, the next morning, the Zion Manjuda guy who was supposed to make this big announcement is about to make the announcement. And Nikolai announces beforehand, I have to leave Jerusalem to take care of UN business. And now in an hour from now, this guy is going to make the, the big announcement that's going to change everything. Yeah. And Ray had discovered previously that Nikolai's planning on they want Ben Judah to make the announcement that uh, want him to make the announcement that Nikolai is the Messiah. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. but Bach is trying to get uh, uh, Ben Judah to make the, the actual announcement of who the Messiah is. Right. And that's and so, why he took him to the witnesses in the first place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so the the day of the press conference comes and it's this studio backdrop of Israel behind the crowd of people that's gathered. Uh, lots of the press are there in the background. So, you know, yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah. And so he starts making the announcement. And this press conference is funny. I mean, the the studio backdrop of Jerusalem. Um, it just like adds this whole effect to it, but there's very, very little security. There's a guard standing in front of Ben Judah, and then there's one at the very back of the crowd who, if you look in some of the shots, is like on his tiptoes trying to see what's going on from <laughs> behind the podium. Is that all the security they have? But there's dozens of microphones set up in front of Ben Judah as he makes this announcement, and as he moves through it, one of the key prophecies that uh, like they th- that would consider Nikolai to be the Messiah is there's records of him being stabbed through the chest when he was a kid and yeah. not breaking any bones, which is said of uh, I don't know where does that where is yeah, that in in, um, in Psalm 22 I think it is uh, it talks okay. about a, re- a reference to um, none of his brown bones were broken. And then one of the gospels refers to Psalm 22 in describing that. Yeah. And so that's, that's like the big detail that I think Nikolai's kind of 
banking like, on. on. Yeah, yeah. Right. he's hoping that people will just buy that because. But after Ben Judah says he will, you know, he builds up all the different prophecies made about the Messiah, and some of them are true for Nikolai. I guess he went to Egypt of, when he was a kid. Yeah. So one of the the great scenes is that um, as Ben Judah is giving his speech, they keep cutting to Nikolai on the, his airplane as he's leaving, and he's sitting there. And when Zion Ben Judah talks about being uh, none of his bones were broken or um, be, being like visiting Egypt as a young child, Nikolai's sitting there like, oh, yeah, I love it when a plan comes together. And then uh, <laughs> Zion Ben Judah's like, and then he's born in Bethlehem. And immediately they cut back to him and he's like real angry. The color goes out of his face. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Wait, I'm. Um, so was Nikolai in Jerusalem? He he yeah. Remember he gives a speech right before uh, Zion Ben Judah is about to give his speech. And he says, I don't understand why wouldn't he stay before the I, big I, announcement? Especially if if I, if someone's announcing me as the Messiah, I gotta be there. Like yeah, I, and I, I and I know that he's about to do that. Yes, I'm with you. But I think the reason that that happens is that the plot requires it. Uh, because the elusive plot requirement. Because if he's there when it happens, he just kills the guy because he's the Antichrist. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. If he's on the plane when it happens, you can have the scene where Ray, which we haven't talked about yet, but Ray unplugs a fuse on the plane to allow to not allow the guys on the plane to talk to the GNN news to cut off the broadcast. And right, so right, right. Judah's broadcast of Jesus is the Messiah goes out to the entire world because they're on a plane at the time. And so I think the only real reason that he left was that they needed it for the plot. Otherwise, yeah. I don't care what UN business you have. If somebody is announcing that you're the Messiah, you should probably be there for it. Yeah, right. That's that's almost like missing your own funeral, kind of. Yeah, right. exactly. Um. Another question I have, I don't know why this, I don't really know how like the ins and outs of journalism works, but Buck is like the head of, he's like the face of the GNN, like the UN's news network. Yeah. I don't, would he actually just be there by himself with a camera? I guess there's like nobody else with him. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a great question. I also don't know so, enough about how the news works, but I feel like he would have a team. Yeah, I've seen Groundhog I, Day. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like he has Nikolai has all these resources to shoot any and all carjackers, but then for the head of his press, he doesn't have resources to send anybody else with him, and he does only have like Nikolai has a very tiny team of people that help him. There's like. Yeah three people in the movie who answer to him that he interacts with at all. Yeah. It's, it's just, inter- I don't know. I just, I, I got the sense like watching the press conference. This didn't seem right that like Buck Williams just goes by himself with a camera. So he, you would, just, yeah, you would think there would he's be like the a camera guy. He's just filming force of news broadcasters. there, getting every yeah. shot from every angle. Yeah, and there's dozens of microphones at this press conference for a bunch of different networks, but 
<laughs> yeah, I, that's a great I question. Who are all these other networks? Because doesn't right. they isn't part of the point that they shut down all of the other networks so that unless unless uh, <laughs> Nikolai's organization is trying to make it look like there's still press diversity, ah, that and it's be, really that just like Buck Williams the, is the only guy. But they want to. I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I don't want to read too much into this. Uh, this this is but a question they, for the for the authors, I think. Yeah, I think so. We gotta have them on. Someday. I think. Although I think uh, Jerry Jenkins died. Oh, did he? I think so. Jerry Jenkins mm-hmm. and Tim LaHaye were the authors, and maybe it was Tim LaHaye that died. One of them died, I think. Oh. Uh, anyway. Too bad. I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Moving on. Um. After so. There is like this moment of victory for like, you know, Buck and Ray and Pastor Bruce, because the announcement that Ben Judah makes is the actual truth that they are desperate to get out to the world about what's going on. And then uh, they return to uh, America, to Chicago. And then that brings us to the end. So one thing us with one thing um, during the broadcast uh, Chloe, Ray's daughter, who is kind of interested in Buck, meets up with Buck's assistant, Ivy, I think is her name. Yeah. Um, and while they're watching the announcement of Ben Judah saying Jesus is the Messiah, Ivy has her conversion scene. Oh, right, 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 right. And then, then, then they come back and you have the final scene you're about to get into. Yeah. In the final scene, the church is having a night service, and Ray's there, Pastor Bruce is there, Chloe's there. Everybody's just kind of gathered at the church. Uh, What song are they singing? Uh, How Great Thou Art. How Great Thou Art. That's right. And so they're all singing How Great Thou Art. Uh, Buck makes his entrance into the church. He's back from all the... It's the things he's been doing in Israel. And then, you know, he had some he for being a head reporter. Buck seems to be relatively not busy most of the time. (laughs) Like he I don't know. He doesn't really seem to have that much to do because he goes to Israel, but he just films the thing. He he, he's always like if he's in tons of scenes, like in the middle of the day. When I don't know, you, I don't know. It just he I, for his position, he doesn't seem to have too much going on most of the time. But he yeah, makes his. And again, we don't know much about journalism, but I would suspect that if you're the head of like the Antichrist's press, that you would have some things to do. Yeah, right. You're putting out fires all the time. I would imagine. <laughs> and <Literally>. um, <laughs> with the witnesses, and so. The, the scene just ends. Everybody's reunited. They're at a church service singing how great they are. I kind of like the ending. It was a nice, yeah. like, it, it was, it was just like a small victory for now. And it's, there's a lot of bad to come yeah. and they know it, but they're, you know, they're in it for the right reasons. Yeah. It reminded me of two things. It reminded me of, and again, I am not comparing these movies to the movies that I'm about to <laughs> reference. I do not think they're anywhere near the same quality, but it reminded me of them, is all I'm saying. First of all, not a big deal. The Empire Strikes Back. You have the, you know, all of this bad stuff happens. 
the Empire is kind of victorious. They steal Han Solo. But at the end, you have the scene with Luke getting his hand repaired and Leia. And they're sort of, sort of they're all together. And there's this hopeful moment. Reminded me of that a little bit, in which I think this movie yeah. is kind of that sort of in-between movie. Story's not over yet. You had some failures, but you also had some victories. Also kind of reminded yeah. me of the end of The Apostle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely. Yeah, I and, can definitely and, and that that's the one where I'm afraid to say it because I am not comparing this movie to The Apostle. <laughs> the Apostle is a great movie. This is a direct-to-video Cloud 10 For entertainment sure. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not not a good movie but sort of reminded me of that like where you have this sort of church i mean like you said while we were watching it, i'm a sucker for a church scene like this like you're oh yeah it. like they had like anybody out there seen sergeant york yeah like yeah exactly exactly movie is, exactly yeah is the you, peak of the, the pinnacle yeah you get people in a church singing hymns together in a movie i'm gonna like it i'm sorry it's oh yeah simple man um, but yeah, that, so that's the end. Um, sort of brings I, brings the whole thing to a close. Yeah, and it was. I I think definitely what I remember about the first one it was it was a pretty slow movie, but yes. this one I'd say a little bit more sensible mm-hmm. in terms of the pacing and I, there were there were you know cheesy lines and stuff, but it the, it moved and there were times where they had to kind of force the plot to move but it was a yeah. little bit more of an engaging viewer experience than the first yeah. one and certainly more so than some of these other doozies that we've watched over the last several oh, years goodness. yeah especially as some of the more recent ones um this was almost a breath of fresh air <clears throat> uh i think what i like about this movie and well maybe we should just get into the guiding questions and at least yeah uh, as we talk about those yeah, so the, the first guiding question is who would you recast if you could? Oh man. Oh man. Um oh, I had some for this. What did I have for this? Oh yeah, Rayford Steele looks exactly like looks and sounds exactly like the guy who plays John Hoynes, the vice president in the West Wing. Yeah. So you could easily recast them and it would work really well. Oh yeah. No doubt. They, it is uncanny how much they resemble each other. It's, yeah, it's weird. it's weird. I would be curious to know if the guy who played Ray auditioned for that role. of uh, I don't Because, you know, Hollywood just has types, and those two are definitely in the same category. And you think about it, both of these characters cheated on their wives. Um, so he's, oh, you know, he yeah. would be kind of typecast in that sense. Yeah, um, they're like the, I don't know, the, the broken all-American type. I don't know. That's yeah. Like, but uh, yeah. I think if this was, well, uh, what I was going to say is I feel like Kevin Sorbo belongs in here, but he, he actually just came out with a yeah, new he, Left Behind. He plays Rayford Steele in the new Left Behind movie. Oh, he does? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay, I, I didn't even know that. Yeah, that, so maybe that's we could what I was going to say, but yeah. I, yeah. Do you um, think the movie handled its material well? Oh, I mean, that's a that's a a tough question with a movie like this because I think all of its material is fake. But yes. 
if you're dealing with like you strip away the the religious veneer, like the left behind gospel stuff, which um, like I don't think that's what the book of Revelation is talking about. If you just take the political thriller stuff, I don't think it did a bad job. Um, hmm. Like yeah, the acting I, wasn't great. The plot is very basic. It's like a it's a pulp Tom Clancy novel. Yeah, but I don't think it was bad for being that. No, it yeah for what it is, it's it's competent. But yeah, if, if we're if we're taking the movie with, as a whole with the left behind like theological stuff in it too, no, of course not. Terrible. Yeah, none of this is real. Well, I'd be curious to know if uh, folks with a more dispensational outlook on things, if I mean, did some if of them disagree? It it. Oh, yeah. that would be interesting. Because I don't, I would, I would be curious if there were, because this movie was a, it's just such a brief moment in time when it was out right. and like yeah. really popular. I'd be curious to know if there were like factions that formed around the like I this the theology theological aspects of it. I I don't know. Yeah, I you know, I bet I bet there probably are. I bet if we looked it up online there would be people who are yeah. like the left behind novels are from Satan. I am a dispensationalist and yet these books and movies are bad for you know oh, and yeah. then have detailed theological reasons for why they're wrong. I, I bet there sure I bet there's something there were people that thought that left behind books were a tool for the devil or like we're pointing like, towards the end times or were some kind of danger to society. Yeah. Be, uh, oh, yeah. knowing I what I know about YouTube the religious had existed world. like it does back then. <laughs> right. No, knowing what I know about the religious world, I'm certain that that's the case because you cannot have a position without somebody else coming along and be this position is the antichrist position. <laughs> <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Uh, checks so and sure, balances, checks and balances. Right. I'm sure there's somebody out there who was like left behind as a tool of the devil and the antichrist. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what's the next question? Um, your favorite quotation from the movie. Uh, probably that um, you need to give up that gun for God or whatever it was. What is it? Yeah. You, yeah. You need, to, uh, you need to trade that gun for God. I think that's probably my favorite. I like the "Is he going to kill us all?" line. I just, just really the, sums up oh, the movie. Okay, I'll bet the man. I'm just picturing like, person. Somebody got that line, and they were probably so excited. And there's, mm -hmm. I don't know, there's like a, like, you know, you can pick like the extra like in the back, like waiting, like kind of shaking and chomping at the bit, waiting for the cue for them to say <laughs> their line, you know, and then just like, you know, shout it out real quick because they know they got to, they're all anxious about saying the line. Yeah. But I think that, that it's was like the, the Seinfeld episode where, where George gets the, these pretzels are making me thirsty line. Have you ever seen Seinfeld? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a Kramer who has it. I don't remember. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's it was, yeah. what what you're describing. Um, uh, like an extra anything very knock your socks there. off. Yeah. Uh, anything knock my socks off. I think the thing that knocked my socks off in the biggest way is the all of the scenes of how bad the streets of every city are 
in America after the rapture look basically like the streets of every city in America in 2023. (laughs) Oh, this is just how the world is now. Uh, It's the fires and the burn barrels. Yeah. It is breaking into cars, at least gunning people down. I mean, yeah, and the, it, I think I said this earlier too about like just the the tone of the movie was off because you had a scene like that that's like everything is just chaos, but then that never really comes back at all again in the movie. Yeah, like people being gunned down in the streets over breaking into abandoned cars and stuff. Yeah, so I think uh, in the third Left Behind book, I think it's the third book. Like World War Three, like legit breaks out. Uh, okay. Um, and the movies don't really build like in the books. There's a lot of this political stuff happening. Um, that the movies don't really cover all in detail. So there's a re like in the books. There's a reason that everything's chaotic and like the world is legit falling apart. And then World War Three breaks out and Nikolai kind of saves the world from total destruction. The movies don't really get into that more political aspect of it though, because they only have an hour and a half. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how many they and they they're fitting a bunch of books into each movie. Uh, or so, did they mean for it to be like a book by book? I think at this point they meant for it to still be a book by book series because the second book in the left behind series is called tribulation force, which is the subtitle. Oh, okay. Um, so I think, I think at this point, Oh goodness. I want to say like 10 or 11. Okay. That's what I thought. I, okay. But then the third movie world at war, I think it, it condenses a lot of things together. That's that's where they oh, stop okay. following the books. Yeah. Subtitles. Had to wrap it up quick. Yeah, because they you know, nobody the moment had passed at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um do you recommend this movie to anyone? All right. So I'm gonna say yes, but there's a specific audience. So hmm. when we talk about whether we're recommending these movies to people there are some movies that were like you know no never watch this it's awful there are other movies where it's like gramps goes to college where it's like this movie's so bad that it's worth watching just for the enjoyment of it being bad this one i'm gonna say if you're a person who's like particularly interested in um sort of niche christian things and you love like spy thrillers or political thrillers like Tom Clancy or something like that. I think you're actually going to enjoy this. Like it's got yeah. a weird mixture of religious and like that. I, Tom Clancy is who I keep coming back to like the John Grisham, I guess like that sort of political intrigue that, yeah. or like maybe even Frank Peretti, although this there's not as much supernatural in these stories as Frank Peretti gets into, but that sort of vibe. If you enjoy that kind of thing, I think you'd enjoy these, certainly the books and probably these movies too. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely a fair assessment. I think that's about who I would uh, recommend it to as well. But yeah, like like we said, it was just it was a bit more competent of a movie movie than some of these other doozies we've had to watch. Yeah, I I think that's that's the big thing. in the, in this case is the people who made this movie, like at least know something about the art of making a movie. Yeah. Right. As opposed to a gramps. 
Oh man. Um, and then the who was this made for? I think. Yeah, yeah, that's an easy answer. <laughs> yeah, like the people who folks. You're right. People who read Left Behind and loved it. And yeah, them and and nobody else. This isn't trying to appeal to an outside audience. I don't think. Right. Yeah. No, I don't know. But plenty of people. I, we're going to get to the reviews in a minute. And plenty of people who. I think plenty of people who it wasn't made for ended up watching this because there's a lot of reviews by people that. Yeah. They preface the review basically it. saying I had no business watching this, but I watched it anyway. And it was, you know, they had words. Yeah. Um, what about a rating? Oh, man. Um, you know, I'm going to give this a better rating than most of the movies we do. I'm going to say that this is probably a um, seven out of ten uh, global community. Uh, oh, man. I'm trying real hard to think of something to give it a rating from this movie. Uh, what, what, are there even anything in this movie that we can reference? To well, I was going to, I was going to give it uh five uh, conference phone fuses. Oh, all right. All right. Ray pulls out the fuse to knock out yeah. the phone. Yeah. I guess I would give this a, um, I literally cannot think of anything memorable from this movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a, 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 a seven out of ten. Um, Revolver. You know, <laughs> yeah, see, all of the things that I can think of would be offensive and upset people. Seven out of ten wailing walls. <laughs> um what what happened what i don't even what happens in this movie Seven oh there's there's also there's like the mini cds that they use with their yeah that's laptops. true okay so we'll we'll give it seven out of ten vigil candles okay <laughs> seven out of ten that's that's good yeah yeah no a, i i as i mean if we're talking about the scale of the movies that we watch on this podcast i'm this is a clear seven like this is this is definitely cream of the crop for movies that we've watched. Yeah, it's got some action, got some heart. Yep. It's only an hour and a half long. They yeah. just they yeah. got a lot you of things. You well. cannot discount the fact that it's only an hour and a half long. Yeah. Um. All right, I we can um. Or oh, one last one last thing, then we can get to the reviews. Uh. The laptops in this movie and in a lot of movies make those beeping sounds. Did laptops ever at any point actually make that sound? Like when they open it up, there's like the the beeps that happen and like the all the sounds. I mean, some computers make sounds, but I, I don't I don't remember them making the beeping sounds. Hmm. I don't know. I'm always curious because the, the it's just like a. I know I, I call it, it's like the the high tech sound effect. Yeah, I mean probably not. The computers, the only sounds yeah. the computers really make is like the Windows boot up sound. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to some uh, reviews because you found 
found a couple of them. I have one here, but if you want, you want to start with yeah, I'll, I'll start. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so we've got Pinhead nine fifty four from Amazon, who says Kirk Cameron was not a draw. I probably would have given it a lot more stars. The movie quality was so poor. I had my money refunded. The book was great. Two out of five stars. <laughs> and so th- I guess this is one of those people we were talking about who's like really loved the books, but just didn't feel like the movie captured what they wanted. Hmm. Then I've got um, Amazon customer who says, again, along the same vein, so much is left out. Not being a big reader, I chose to watch the movies first. Big mistake. Because I was left wanting I was left wanting to more story. So I picked up book three, assuming that it is where movie one and two stopped. I sorry. There's a lot of typos in here. I was I was so lost because entire crucial characters were left out. Events like marriages were left out. The movies just do not follow the books. I had hoped that they would have followed the books as closely as the Harry Potter movies followed the books. <laughs> but I was disappointed. Although the movies are still good to see, but don't expect a pictorial pictorial depi- depiction of the books. <laughs> so so there are those people out there who are really not pleased with these movies. Um they're the, they're the kind of people who are upset that Peter Jackson didn't include Tom Bombadil in Lord of the Rings. Mm. We got yeah, those in head types. 954, not pleased with Kirk Cameron. <laughs> All right. I got one here. This is from IMDb. It's a one-star review. Anyone masochistic enough to watch this ham-fisted waste <laughs> of time will only be motivated to run away from him, not to him. The overwrought, misled, brain-dead producers of this cinematic peon to fear mongering and holier than thou sociopathy should be reminded that quitting their Prozac too abruptly can bring on hallucinations of the most <laughs> terrifying kind. <laughs> All right. So much vitriol. I take it. That was a negative review. Yes. Once <laughs> one out of 10 stores. Ah, um, wow. I, I appreciate the, the thought that was put into that review, though, when they say uh, run away from him, I assume they're referring to Jesus. Like, yeah, it's him is capitalized. Ah, OK, I got you. Yeah. So I have one more review and I felt of all of the reviews we, we read, this one really touched me the most as far as just nailing mm. a depiction of the movie. And this is from S- Stefan. It's one out of five stars. And Stefan says, I fell asleep. <laughs> so <laughs> I get it, Stefan. That's that's a <sighs> and that, to be fair though, I don't get it when referring to this movie because this movie is not a this is not a snoozer. You got some action, you've got character development, you got it builds up to the witnesses. Like Steph- Stefan might be wrong on this one. I think so too. I uh do when you do reviewers have like profiles with, where they compile the reviews they make? I'd be curious oh, to man. see if this guy, maybe it's a recurring like every movie he reviews, maybe he's <laughs> this the is a, like I, this I is a narcolepsy issue really. <laughs> Dude, go see your doctor. 
Let me see where I can find stuff on here. Yeah. Um, let's see. We got some other movies. I'll have to look through these. Yeah, maybe maybe I don't want to blind read them. We can, yeah, we can uh, update on Stefan. All right. Uh, Let's see if he has any other takes. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be good um, if he made it through the movie. <laughs> right. So that's that's Left Behind Two: Tribulation Force. Not yeah. the first movie we've ever watched. Certainly no, not a little no, piece. I, of um, competent. Competent, I guess, is probably the best word to describe it. Yeah. Uh, you have any any final thoughts that we weren't able to cover as we reviewed it? I just remembered we had the conversation where I was saying, I think when we were both kids, there were people who said that pilots, um, there's always two pilots on a plane. And people used to tell me that um, airlines hire one Christian pilot and one non-Christian pilot for the the flights just in case the rapture does happen i had like because oh this because i think i I prefaced this by saying when we were talking about this before the episode i went to a christian school and we would have sometimes our subs would just be people's moms and they were like fox news moms and they would uh they would use subbing as just like a platform yeah I remember one in particular use it was just I have 20 people in the room right now who have to listen to me or else they get detentions. So it is a platform to me to talk about Liz lay out my <laughs> like religious political agenda. And so yeah. they would talk about uh, like the end times and all the things in the news that are pointing toward, you know, revelation coming to fruition. And that was one of the things they talked about one time about how, you know, airlines they hire a Christian pilot and a non-Christian pilot, so if the rapture happens, the plane does <laughs> Yeah, I remember hearing that one, too, when I was a kid. And I don't know where – like, did someone just make that up and everybody was like, oh, that sounds really good. We're just going to keep repeating it. Like, where did that come from? I don't know. That's – I'm going to – I might look into that a little bit because that's yeah, maybe, a – Maybe we can delve into that one and have a, a report back for the listeners. Yeah, and I – that's – a lot of people believe that too. Mm-hmm. It's such a, I don't know. It's, I don't know. People latched on to it for whatever reason, but I think that's about all I have to say about left behind too. Didn't yeah. love it. Didn't hate it. They, yeah. they did. Okay. Yeah. And, and for, as far as the movies we watch, that's a, that's high praise. They did. It's, okay. I, yeah. They should, they need to put our, that review on the back of the, the DVD. <laughs> on the DVD case. Yeah. They did okay. Dreams <laughs> of a Better Day podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, guys. You can find us on uh, Twitter at what is it? Better Day Cast at Better. Yeah, Day at Cast. Better Day Cast. If you have movie suggestions, please by all means uh, give us a tweet. Or if you have general questions about uh, any of the things that are said in the episode or you have just comments about it, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And we would love to hear, especially um, we used to do this more often uh, specific questions about the movies we've watched. If you have some great, like um, I think we talked about this on an earlier episode, but like I thought I, I thought the rapture had happened. Yes. 
type yes. stories. Like we would love to hear that kind of stuff. We'll read it out on the show if you send it in. Um, because one of the reasons we're doing the show is just to kind of relive the the fun memories too of growing up in this world of really yeah. not great movies. So if you have a great story like that, just something you want to share, we would love to hear it. That would be great. Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to hear about, you know, if you grew up in a church with like that had more of this particular vein of like end times theology, every church I think had one person in the church who was like the resident expert and was always like that substitute yeah. mom substitute I was talking yeah. about. I'd love to hear about the, like the end times expert in people's churches when they were growing up yeah and it, did you have the like we talked about the the person who was like well actually left behind's not theologically correct because yeah. and then they went even more <laughs> into dispensationalism and they're like left behind is actually bad because it doesn't go far enough i yeah i want to know about like the spectrum of this particular yep. like yep. subculture yeah well right. i think is that all you got yep that's all i got all right well Dream on, dreamers.